The Tower of Babel The Promise to Abraham The Sons Ishmael and Isaac The Birth of Covenants Every one of these events is an announcement, a declaration of who God is and how He treats His people. As the Word of God has stood the test of time, these records are still a revelation. Good morning, LAFC. My name is Joel Lingenfelter. I'm the executive pastor here, and uh, we're going to be reading this morning from Genesis chapter 28. So if you don't have a Bible, would you just put your hand up, and our ushers would be happy to get you one. If you are more of a digital person, the YouVersion Bible app has an events tab, and in that events tab, you'll see Lancaster Evangelical Free Church, and that is us. If you click on that, it will give you everything that we'll be using this morning. Okay, well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. We just thank you that we can abide in you, and we thank you for the way that you have loved us and just cared for us. Lord, be with us this morning as we seek your word. Uh, May it inform our lives, and may, uh, may we just recognize who you are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, Pastor Tony introduced us to Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Now, it was a powerful message on the sovereignty of God. If if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to take the time later um, and watch that service. And if you were here, you remember that the sovereignty of God, it provides us with hope. It provides us with peace. It gives us confidence that we can trust in who God is and that he is in control. And in the end, we know that Jesus will overcome, that God wins, amen? Amen. But while we know that God is sovereign, we didn't really cover the entire story of Jacob. So today, we're gonna look a little more into the life of this patriarch. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 28. Now, to recap the life of Jacob so far, if you remember, he literally wrestled with Esau in the womb. That, that's gotta be a great start as his brother, right? So, so the two wrestled together so much that the Rebecca actually sought the Lord and said, Lord, what is going on? And he said, these two will contend with one another and ultimately the older will serve the younger. Now, now Jacob was that younger twin, and he came out of the womb literally hanging on to the foot of his brother Esau. Now, as as they grew up, uh, Esau was a man of the field. He was a man that went out, he hunted, he caught game. He he was a, a man's man. And Jacob, Jacob was more a man of the city. It says he stayed home among the tents. And so, so Jacob was one that was around. He was around his mother more. Esau was out in the field doing his thing. Now, we don't know if Jacob was a merchant. We don't really know what he did. We just know that he stayed among the tents. And as a result of that, there was a day when he was cooking. He was making a, 
a, a lentil stew and Esau came in famished and, and said, give me some of this stew, I'm starving to death. And, and we know the story, right? Jacob says, well, you can have some stew, but you have to give me your birthright. Now, I've always looked at this and thought, what a, what a weird interaction that had to be. And, and my guess is that this is not the first time that Jacob has tried to get this from Esau. I, I think just it feels like this is something that he probably continually was seeking and wore Esau down to where Esau said, what value is that? I'm starving to death. Fine. Um, and so at, at Esau's expense, Jacob wins. But the struggle isn't over, right? So if, if we continue, Jacob took advantage of his father's failing health and he stole a blessing, a blessing that was meant for Esau. Now with the birthright, he may have asked too much for a bowl of stew, but at least Esau did have the opportunity to, to speak into it, to say no. With, with the blessing, Esau never had a chance, right? Jacob and his mother, they, they schemed, they came up with a way, and, and Jacob literally took something that belonged to Esau to his own benefit. And that blessing, I, I wanna show it to you on the screen. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine, May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Now, now why did I bring up all of these things about Jacob? Well, I think it's, it's really easy to forget that prior to our passage today, Jacob's character is not good. Jacob's character is, is, is a man that does not fear God. He lives for only one thing, what is best for Jacob. He also doesn't trust that God will provide for him. Instead, he goes and he takes and he lies and he does whatever he can to get those things on his own. Now Esau is not a blameless victim either, right? He's taken foreign wives that and ultimately, he purposes to kill Jacob in return for Jacob's treatment of him. Now, Rebecca, she learns of Esau's desire to kill his brother, and she schemes another way to, to keep him safe. And she goes to Isaac and says, uh, these, these foreign wives are driving me crazy. We need something different for our son. So let's pick this up at the beginning of chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padam Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padam Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now notice that in sending him away, Isaac blesses Jacob a second time. And I have to think this would have been hard for Isaac. He knew at this point of Jacob's deceit. He knew of Jacob's character. He was certainly aware of what was happening. And in his blessing, he specifically tied Jacob 
to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, the last time I was with you, we talked about the covenants between God and man in Scripture. And the first covenant was with Abraham, and it's in Genesis chapter 12. I want to remind you of what that says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So you notice the language in this covenant? This covenant God made with Abraham. Isaac is drawing a direct connection to this. The promises made to Abraham will be fulfilled through Jacob. They're not gonna be fulfilled through Esau, which is what tradition and certainly the expectations of the society would have been. So let's read about Jacob's journey to, from Beersheba to Haran. Let's continue in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So oftentimes we refer to this passage as Jacob's ladder. And let's unpack it and see what we can learn today. So first of all, we've seen up to this point that Jacob does not fear God. He doesn't follow him. But based on the words of Isaac, he knows of God. But based on his actions, he doesn't know God. Now, if, if you're a high school student or a junior high student and you were at Winter Blast this weekend or maybe you're one of the volunteers that went, that should sound pretty familiar. The difference between knowing of God and knowing God. So Jacob is a day or two into his journey. Now, when I started preparing for this message, for all I knew, walking from Beersheba to Haran was maybe like walking from Lidditz to Lancaster City. But then I thought about it. I thought, well, okay, he's got to spend the night, so maybe it's more like a walk to Redding or, or somewhere in Berks County. Like, I wasn't really sure. 
But when I did the research, I discovered I was way off. It's not like walking to Reading. It's more like walking to Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it's like you know, setting out for a walk and ending up in Portland, Maine, or, or maybe a little south of Raleigh, North Carolina. Like, these are not close places. This is a very, very long journey. In fact, uh, what I find is it's about 460 miles. Now, Google says that would take about 18 days. So if you look at this map that I have on screen, you can see how far north he goes. And, and the, the modern uh, country lines are not there, but he's basically walking through Lebanon. That's not Lebanon. It's not a little north of here. It's Lebanon. He's walking through Lebanon, through Syria, all the way up into Turkey. Now, Turkey's a very long way, about 460 miles to get into to Heron there. So that's... The walk that he is taking is a pretty epic journey. And the thing is, Google says this would take about 18 days to walk. But that's with modern roads. Like, like there was nothing as nice as walking along Highway 30. Not that any of you like to walk along Highway 30. But at least it's flat, right? It's not, it's not hilly and trees and other things and rocks and other obstacles to overcome. He had a long, long journey, and there were no Motel 6s along the way. The best he could find was a rock. So, if you want to be sure you don't bump into your brother at the grocery store, I suppose walking 460 miles away is a way to do that. So Jacob is, is about 10% of his journey, about 48 miles in when he stops. And he goes to sleep, and he has this dream. Now, I want to reiterate, Jacob has a father that follows God. His grandfather is Abraham, right? The all-star of all-stars when it comes to following God. You would think that Jacob would have been all about God from the moment he exited the womb. But that's not his character. That's not what we've seen to this point. What we've seen is a self-absorbed man who will do anything to advance his own interests and never give the Lord even a second thought. I think it's pretty clear that Jacob sees no connection between the Lord and the world around him. So what's the first thing that he sees in his dream? He sees a connection between the physical world and the spiritual world. A connection upon which the angels are ascending and descending. Now up to this moment, Jacob has lived as if the spiritual does not exist. And now God has shown him not only does it exist, but is directly connected to the world that we live in. So what is happening here is Jacob, he has to stop and he has to rethink his understanding of how the world works. Not only does God exist, he's directly involved in what's going on in the world. The angels that are ascending and descending, they're, they're doing work. This is not a water slide. They're not having fun. They're coming and going because they have work to do and assignments. This passage is in scripture for a purpose. Just as this vision called Jacob to have a radical reframing of his understanding of God's relationship to the world, it should do the same for us. God is not distant, God is near. God is not disinterested, God is involved. The heavenly host isn't just a celestial choir. They are active and serving God's purposes in the world. So up to this point, Jacob lived completely unaware of the work of the Lord 
of the ministry of the angels on earth, of God's purpose, direction, and design. And what God did is showed him the fallacy of that way of living. What would Jacob do with that information? What will you do with that information? So the next thing that happens is God speaks directly to Jacob. Look at it again in, in 28, 13. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the east and the west, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God directly ties Jacob to the covenant he made with Abraham. Specifically, he says, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God also reaffirms and reiterates the blessings that Isaac gave Jacob as his departure, promising both that his descendants would be numerous and that he would return Jacob to this land. So I just wanna make this personal for a moment. You know, I've lived in, in quite a few locations, but for the most part, I identify with three. The first is Brockport, New York, where I became a Bills fan. So moment of silence. <laughs> Secondly would be Southern California, and third is here in Linnitz. Now, when I grew up in New York, I attended church regularly. My grandfather was a pastor at a church in Indiana. My parents, particularly my later childhood there in New York, were literally traveling the world, assisting missionaries and helping them understand how to interact with the cultures that they were in. Church was part of my life, but God was not my focus. At the end of my sixth grade year, we moved from New York to California. Now, as you can imagine, I was subjected to a significant amount of culture shock. Uh, New York and California could not be any more different. And let me tell you, I hated everything about California all the way down to the weather. Growing up outside of Buffalo, you would think that's insane. But when you grew up with that much snow, not having winter, it didn't right. But it wasn't all bad. We started attending a Grace Brethren Church in California. And my faith grew exponentially during this time. And then I remember specifically a day. I, I don't know what the significance was of that day, but I, I remember it vividly. And it, it wasn't at church, but it was a day in which I was taking time for some deep thought. And I thought about my faith. And I came to a point where I had to make a decision. Am I gonna walk forward as a child of God? Or am I gonna reject what I've heard and say this is the religion of my parents? There was no dream, there was no explicit verbal spoken word of the Lord, but I do recognize that day as a turning point in my life. From that day forward, I would be a Christ follower wherever that would take me. And that day a decision led directly to this morning where I'm standing on this stage speaking to you from the word of God. So Jacob, Jacob lived a life apart from God, rich in knowledge, but devoid of relationship. Jacob, son of Isaac, 
grandson of Abraham was at a turning point. He'd known about God his whole life. His dad, Isaac, had clearly been a follower of God and had prayed for God's blessing upon Jacob, both willingly and unwillingly. I'm sure that Jacob knew the stories of how God had called his grandfather to walk in faith and the covenants that God had made with him. Jacob had everything going for him to be a follower of God, and yet he was still ruled by self. Knowledge isn't enough. As our students heard at Winter Blast, it's not enough just to know about God. We need to know God. So Jacob has this dream, and then he wakes up, and he really does five things in response to this dream. The first one is revelation. He recognizes that what has happened is real and that God is in this place. God that he has ignored his entire life is here. And this information demands a response. So what does Jacob do? It says he was afraid. Now why would Jacob be afraid? Well, I'm gonna digress for a minute and just explain it in a different thing. It's what I do, I tell stories. And I love ships. I have loved ships since I was a little kid. And it's no accident that one of the first things I did when I moved here was went to Philly to see the SS United States, this derelict ocean liner sitting at a pier. So that fascination with ships led to a Panama Canal trip that we did earlier this January. Now, it was a fascinating and incredible experience to go through the canal. Seeing the massive ships was an incredible treat. You can see that, that cargo ship here coming the other way. And from my perch on the ship, it was an absolute blast. Now the ship we were on was, was small for what modern cruise ships are, but it was still a large vessel. And, and I felt safe because I'm on a large ship looking at another large ship. But let me show you another photo. Now this is not my photo. There we go. I imagine this fellow has a completely different set of emotions right now looking at that large ship than I did. With that oncoming ship, that man in a rowboat is completely powerless, right? There is nothing he can do that will affect that ship in any way, shape, or form. Jacob is like the man in the rowboat when he finds himself in the presence of God. The power distance is so overwhelming. The only thing he can do is be afraid. For the first time in his life, Jacob feared God. He was afraid. He had encountered the holy and he was unholy. He had encountered ultimate power and he was powerless. The next thing is reverence. His next words are, how awesome is this place? And honestly, that is the best translation. But it's incomplete. The Hebrew word, it's Yahweh. It's, it's a godly astonishment and awe. It should inspire reverence. I think of what would happen if you took someone who grew up in a village in the Sahara Desert, 
who is always struggling for water, and you had them close your, their eyes and you transported them to Niagara Falls and said, now open your eyes. Awesome. Can you imagine how that would feel to see that much water and that much power in one place? So when Jacob sees God, when he has this vision, he says, how awesome is this place? Reverence and fear. His next step is to memorialize what has happened. So he takes that stone that he'd been sleeping on and he sets it up and says, this will provoke a memory of this moment. He anoints it with oil, makes it something sacred, a point of connection with the Almighty. Now Jacob is very focused on the place because this is the place he first had an encounter with God. But, but the place is not the important thing. The stone serves as a reminder. It's a marker that this is where God showed up. This is where God showed his presence and let me know he is real. And the next step is faith. Now, oftentimes in reading through this, I think people misunderstand Jacob's response. So, so let's just back up here. What does God say he will do? Well, God says, Jacob, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're sleeping. You'll have so many descendants, they can't be counted, and then all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And God concludes by saying, I'll watch over you wherever you go until all of these things have happened. And many people think Jacob responded by naming new terms, but he didn't. Jacob just says like, okay, if you're gonna do all that, this is how I will respond, right? He, he basically restates in his own words, okay, look, if you're gonna keep me safe, if you're gonna feed me and clothe me and bring me back here and give me this land, then you will be my God. And then what's he do? It's an interesting thing. He says, and I will tithe to you, right? Jacob is, is looking at, before this point, he has been all about himself. And he's now giving that up and saying, I will do something different. He's acting in faith and making a vow going forward. Now, everyone in this room has a story. Every one of us is a sinner on a path away from God. Everyone in this room has differing amounts of knowledge about God. But we know that he is the creator. We know that he loves us. And we know that he sent Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. But have we reached that turning point where that faith becomes action? So earlier in this message, I said, what would we do with that information? That God is real, that he is connected, that he's involved. So let's talk about that. How do we respond understanding who God is? Well, the first thing is the same thing Jacob did. We need to recognize who God is. God is one God creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and make all things new for his own glory. Now, to some of you, that should sound familiar, and if it doesn't, that's point one of our statement of faith. 
who is God. So the first step is to recognize who God is. Now Jacob undoubtedly knew much about God, but until this turning point, he'd failed to recognize God's involvement in his own story. In my story, I began to see how the move to California was part of God's plan for my life. As I sat and pondered that reality of God, I began to see how he had been moving me towards that moment. And as the years have gone on, I've continually seen God working and moving in my life and in the lives of others. Second, in fear and reverence, we need to confess our sins and seek forgiveness. We are sinners, but Jesus provides that perfect sacrifice that we need to be in the presence of God, to be safe, to not be like the man in the rowboat. We've been talking about Jacob, and by extension, his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. Now all of them are included in what we kind of colloquially call the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Let me read you just a little bit of that. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. There is a lot more, and if you've never read Hebrews 11, it's a great summary of how people in the Old Testament lived out their faith in God. But the promise didn't truly arrive until Jesus, which brings us to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 begins like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We, like Jacob, have lived lives that did not reflect the reality of God's presence. Thankfully, God is working and moving. And he gave, gave us Jesus to stand in for us, taking the penalty that we deserved upon himself. And in return, he made us perfect in the eyes of God. We live in the reality of what Abraham and Isaac and Jacob could only hope for. And in that reality, we confess our sins, knowing that God is faithful to forgive through Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 is on the screen. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly, be intentional to remember. So Jacob set up that stone as a reminder of what God had done. You know, something like that on my left hand is a ring. It serves as a daily reminder to my commitment to my wife, Patty. Reminds me of my love to her and my promise to be faithful to her and to stand by her through every storm of life. She's been my faithful companion for 30 years, 
and we have a lot of incredible memories together. I look at this ring and I remember. But what about my relationship with God? God has been there for every breath I have ever taken. And just as Jacob set up a memorial of the moment with God, I need to be intentional to remember the things that God has done for me. So how do we do that? Well, we just mentioned Abraham and Isaac, and if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember Pastor Tony preaching on that. And what did Abraham do after God provided the blessing? Anyone remember? He named the hill, right? He said, this is God provides. Why did he name the hill? Because he wanted to remember. He did that so that every time someone looked at or spoke about the hill, that hill, they'd be speaking the truth that God provides. Now for you and I, it's probably not gonna involve setting up large stones in random locations, or probably not gonna be involved in renaming large geologic features. But it is important that we take time to remember who God is and what he's done for you. If you have a life group, in your life group this week, spend some time and talk about what God has done. If you don't, get together with some friends and just share with them, these are the things that God has done in my life to this point. Or, or maybe if you have a family, if you live in a home, do that. Do that with your family. Or if you're in all three of those contexts, do that. Take time and say, this is what God has done. Celebrate his goodness. And then discuss maybe what you might be able to use as an ongoing reminder of God's goodness and faithfulness to you. The important thing is to be intentional and to remember. So speaking of celebrating God's goodness, next weekend we have an event that we call Celebrate God. Now this is an evening where we gather together as a church and what do you think we're here for? To celebrate God, right. We are gonna talk about his goodness to us and specifically we'll be taking time to remember what he has done in our lives. You'll have an opportunity to actually write out a little letter a place that we can post those together to just to celebrate. These are the things that God has done. So you have a week. I've just challenged you. Take some time and remember. And then come be with us Sunday night and be intentional to celebrate the goodness of God. But most importantly, make God the God of your life. Give up the things that are keeping you apart. Acknowledge him in all of your ways and live in obedience to him. You know, it's interesting, Jacob specifically identified the tithe. I've been all about me. He says, now Lord, I'm gonna give you the first fruits of my income. So this is something I need to do, and he made that vow. He'd been all about himself and his own wealth for over 40 years. And this specific act of obedience showed that his focus had now changed. He was truly going to live in the light of God's reality, presence, and blessing. Now there's another element to this passage that should not be missed. Jacob had lived for over 40 years without acknowledging God, and then he, he hit this turning point and he lived out his days on a completely different path. He and Esau, together in restored relationship, buried Isaac. Parents, do you have adult children that are not following God? 
Have you given up? Have you stopped praying because they're 35 or they're 38 and and they're not following God? Isaac took over 40 years for Jacob to realize who God was. I have something to say to you. No matter how your life has been lived, no matter how much you have testified to what God has done in your life, no matter how much you've tried to pour that into your kids, it pales into the comparison to what Abraham and Isaac had to tell. And with everything they'd been through with God, it took Jacob over 40 years. Don't give up. Pray for your children. Pray that they will walk with God and that they will make him the Lord of your life, of their life. But what about you? If you don't know God, if you live as if heaven and earth are disconnected, if you're all about yourself at the expense of others, if you have people that hate you because you've cheated them and lied to them because you could get ahead, it's time to do something different. It's time to recognize who God is, that heaven and earth are connected, that God is real, he wants to be involved in your life, and he wants you to live a life understanding who he is. Maybe today is that turning point in your life where you say, God, I acknowledge who you are. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that I cannot do this on my own, and I want a restored relationship with you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. You are so good. Lord, thank you for the way that you showed yourself to Jacob in this place, Bethel, house of God. Lord, thank you for the way that you have shown yourself to me, that you've shown yourself to others throughout the years, that you have made yourself visible to us. Lord, for anyone that is hearing my voice right now that doesn't know you, I pray that they would step out in faith, admit that they are sinner, believe that you died for our sins, that you were that sacrificial lamb on our behalf. Lord, that they would commit to following you. Lord, I pray that today would be that turning point. They just say, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Give up the things that have, have been my focus and chase after God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand in prayerful response to our God. I need you, Lord.
to trust what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life oh, and I need you to soften my heart to break me apart I need you To pierce through the dark And cleanse every part of me Sing all I am
So what Jacob saw in his dream was a glimpse into the reality of God's presence. But he actually saw more. He saw a glimpse of Jesus. In John 1:51, Jesus says this about himself. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sound familiar? What Jacob saw in his dream wasn't just the reality of God's involvement in our world. He also saw a glimpse of the one who was to come. The light of the world. Jesus, the bridge between earth and heaven. So as you go forward this week, go in the knowledge that God is with you. And live your life in light of this truth. Go in peace. You are dismissed.